Welcome to Restored for Life with Pastor Ben Harris, the senior pastor of Restored Community Church, where God's perfect word restores imperfect people. Here's today's message from Pastor Ben. Well, welcome back to our series. It's based on Nehemiah. It's called Starting Over, Building a Life Worth Living. Uh, Open your Bibles to chapter 8. Now, I don't know about you, but I like the third service the most. Don't tell the other services I said this, okay, because I'll get in a lot of trouble. And what we'll end up with is too many people at third service. So, um, but I love it because I'm not, you know, there's no time constraints and I can just go on for, you know, six hours if I want, you know, it's, it's not a, you know, the other ones you have to worry about finishing on times, but uh, not this one. And I know some of you are ruining coming to third service. Well, last week we saw how Nehemiah finished the job that God had given him, rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. And this week, as we continue our journey, we get to see the transition from his role of rebuilding the city to really rebuilding the hearts of the people. You probably remember the story that previous to this, 70 years earlier, they were taken into captivity. God was punishing them. He was disciplining them, really is a better word for that. Uh, The Bible tells us God disciplines those he loves. He disciplines his children to bring them back to him. And so what had happened previously to this, the children of Israel began to stray and go in different um, directions. God sent the prophets to warn them, telling them, I've warned you not to do this. Israel was looking over the fence at the other neighbors there, the, uh, the ones that uh, had foreign gods and idols. They were worshiping there. God said, don't intermarry. And they intermarried. They were bringing wives over from foreign countries. And then, of course, those wives brought with them idols. And then pretty soon, uh, the children of Israel started to include them in their worship. And God was jealous. We're told he's a jealous God. He won't have any other uh, God before him. And so he warned the children of Israel over decades and decades. And finally, he said, okay, I'm going to have to judge you because I need you to, to come back to me. And since you won't do it voluntarily, we'll need to do it this way. And of course, Babylon came down. Uh, King Nebuchadnezzar came down with his armies and he devastated uh, the world, really. He took it all over, but it, including Israel. 70 years went by. God told them, you're going to be in captivity for 70 years, so get used to this. Go ahead and get married. Start businesses here in, in, in this foreign country and live. And uh, their hearts began to be pulled back to the Lord. Ezra took um, a group of Israelites back after 70 years. The king said, you guys can go back to, to Israel. Put, uh, God put it in the heart of that king to do that. God achieves his will through various sources, even kings like this. So he let, a, he let the, the Jews go back, and many of them went back with Ezra and began to, um, to populate the city there. Fourteen years would go by, and then God put on the heart of Nehemiah, the writer of this book, to go back and to rebuild the walls so that he could have a city and a, and a temple, a place to worship God. And so they did. And, and they did exactly that. And Nehemiah, as we've read over these last several months, was the leader of that. He put that all together. But now it was time 
to take on a different role. And that was, we had, the, we had rebuilt the, the city and the walls, but more importantly, we needed to rebuild the hearts and lives and minds of the people of Israel. 100 years ago, Victor Hugo wrote this, and I quote, England has two books, the Bible and Shakespeare. England made Shakespeare, but the Bible made England. Isn't that true? Uh, There is overwhelming evidence, despite what you might read or watch on television, that America, God built America too. His word was used to influence these godly and great men, even though now there's this revisionist history going on where there, you know, people are rewriting history. But God had his hand in America from the beginning. He had it in the hearts of those that came across. They were looking for freedom of religion. And they brought it here and they brought their Bibles with them. God made America too. Famed statesman and author of the dictionary named after him, Daniel Webster, wrote of our pilgrim fathers that when they came to America, the Bible came with them. And it is not to be doubted that to the free and universal reading of the Bible is to be ascribed in that age that men were indebted for the right views of civil liberties, end of quote. Why do we have the most brilliant documents for administering the freedoms that we have here in our country, that millions seek asylum here and freedoms within the walls of our country every year? Because students of God's word who pen these national treasures applied the wisdom and power found in the Bible and shaped along with Israel one of the two greatest nations that ever existed in history. Stop and consider that there are 195 countries right now in the world. And if America ceased to be, where would you go? What country would you want to go to? Well, if it were me, it would be a very short list. But it'd be one that had the foundations and governance that were also founded on the Bible. In fact, I would venture to say that every country's success or failure is based largely on the extent of how well they adhere to the basic principles and precepts founded in God's Word. You and I are no different. Our success, our failure in life is determined by the extent of our willingness to both know and obey God's Word. You know, if you just know God's Word, you just become a really smart sinner. But if you know God's Word and you apply it to your life, it will change your life for the better. J. Robertson McQuilkin said this, and I quote, The goal of all Bible study is to apply the truth of Scripture to life. If that application is not made, all the work put into making sure of the author's intended meaning will have gone for naught. In fact, to know and not do doubles the offense of disobedience. End of quote. Consider the difference between a strong and a weak cup of tea. The same ingredients, water and tea. They're they're both used. 
The difference is that the strong cup of tea results from the tea leaves, immersion in the water longer, allowing the water more time to get into the tea and the tea to get into the water. The longer the steeping process, the stronger the cup of tea. In the same way, the length of time that you and I spend in God's word determines how deeply we get into it and it gets into us. Just like the tea, the longer we are in the word, the stronger we become. Amen? How many of you know that? In Isaiah 55, God reveals to us, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than yours, and my thoughts than your thoughts. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish, so that it yields seed for the sower and bread to the eater. So is my word that goes out from my mouth, God says. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish that what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. In Matthew 4, 4, Jesus said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. James 1.22 tells us, But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. I said it last week, and I believe it bears repeating. In the eight years that I was a men's pastor at my former church, I counseled lots of men over those years. But I, it quickly came to the realization that after asking the question, what is your spiritual practice? How do you stay close to God? They would look at me and blink their eyes and had no clue of what the answer would be. So then I broke it down and said, how often do you open up your Bible each week? And they would say, on Sundays. But listen, if you just have one meal a week, in a matter of months, you're going to be sick. And in a matter of a year, you're going to be dead. There's a direct correlation between knowing and doing and growing in your faith. Proverbs 4, 20, 20 uh, through 23 gives us a few of the benefits of growing in God's word. My son, give attention to my words, Solomon said. Incline your ear to my sayings. Do not let them depart from your eyes. Keep them in the midst of your heart. For they are life to those who find them and health to all their flesh. Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it spring the issues of life. It is for all the above mentioned reasons and promises that Nehemiah called for what was the first Bible conference I can find in the Bible. He knew that God had blessed both himself as well as the nation of Israel when God provided the strength, provision, and safety with which to rebuild the walls of the eternal city of Jerusalem. He knew that was the hand of God. But now Nehemiah knew that for the blessings to continue, for them to be the light unto the nations, for them to prosper as a people, they would have to both know and carry out God's word in their life. 
Why had their fathers disobeyed? How did they get so far from God? Because they no longer hungered for and carried out the wisdom and knowledge that can only be found in God's word. Slowly, they began to ebb away from God. Slowly, they creeped away. Why is America on the verge of an epic collapse on many levels, just like these folks? Because we have left our first love. Our first love is Jesus. Our first love is God. It is God who founded America, but we have moved away slowly from him. Should we be surprised that we no longer feel his presence in America? In John's gospel, he begins with some of the most powerful verses in all the Bible. John 1.1, in the beginning was the word. Who's the word? The word is Jesus Christ. And the word was with God. And the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him and without him, nothing was made that was made. In him was life and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness and the darkness did not comprehend it or understand it. God's word will always lead a nation and its people to the things of light. Why? Because God is light. Satan, however, is referred to as the prince and power of darkness. Darkness uh, deceives and blinds while the light brings the truth that sets men and women free. The nation of Israel chose darkness rather than light, and God disciplined them by sending them into captivity for 70 years. Nehemiah was painfully aware of this and dead set on starting things out right on the right foot. They're returning back. They've just been captives in a foreign nation for 70 years, and he gets back with all the people, and he says, this time we're going to do it differently. This time we're going to follow the Lord. This time we're going to read Scripture and not just know it, but we're going to live it and do it. He was painfully aware of what had taken place. The things that his father and grandfather had done were not going to be done on his watch. Never again, at least in this generation, would they choose to follow the dark and ensure this. uh, Nehemiah rounds up a preacher to ensure this, a priest by the name of Ezra, the author of the book that bears his name. And he sets up a Bible conference in order to set things straight. Listen, you may be here today with the thought that God seems so distant to you right now. Perhaps you received Christ years ago, but you don't sense his hand in your life anymore. Or maybe there was a time when you walked closely with God, but he feels like you feel like he zigged and you zagged. (laughs) I promise you that if you feel God is distant, one thing is true. He never moved. He never left you. So that only leaves one suspect. (laughs) Us. We're the ones that left him. And that's when things begin to go south. That's when we begin to lose his presence in our life. That's when we begin to drift away. And we lose his power, his protection, and his purpose for our lives. But Nehemiah is not interested in starring in the remake of Groundhog Day. You remember the movie Groundhog Day? Maybe not. Am I the only one to watch this? 
Okay, there you are. All right. All right. You know, every morning this guy wakes up, his alarm clock goes off, and it's the same day. It's the day before. And he repeats this over and over until he gets it right, supposedly, in the movie. It, that's kind of the story of the Israelites. You know, they would walk with God for a, a long time, but then they'd all of a sudden fall you know, back into what God had told them not to do. And they would do this. The book of Judges is all about that story. It's, it's like a roller coaster ride up and down, up and down. Are we any different? In his book, Preaching and Preachers, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones wrote this, and I quote, the primary task of the church and the Christian minister is the preaching of the word of God. The decadent periods and eras in the history of the church have always been those periods when preaching had declined. End of quote. God's word must be the primary text of the church and everything else spoken must be filtered through its precepts. With that in mind, let's read our text today. Let's look down at our Bibles. Nehemiah chapter 8 verse 1. Now all the people gathered together as one man in the open square that was in front of the water gate. Interesting that Nehemiah chose the water gate. What does water mean to the people? Well, water means life. If you go to Israel, and I've been there f four times, I think now, uh, they have this saying, water is life. Where there is water, there will be life. Now, this is the wilderness. You go to Israel, um, they have made it beautiful, and they have brought water into places. God has blessed the nation of Israel. But uh, Israel on its own is, is kind of a desert. And back in these days, you planted cities. Cities grew up around springs. You had to have water for obvious reasons to survive. So water, to the Israelite, even to this day, water means life, they say over there. Water also is an analogy of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit is, is water. It's life to us, right? He's the spring of, of, of the well to us. Interesting that he chooses the water gate. What a beautiful picture. And they told Ezra, the, the scribe, to bring the book of the law of Moses which the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly of the men and women and all who could hear with understanding on the first day of the seventh month. Then he read it in the open square that was in front of the water gate from morning until midday before the men and women and those who could understand and the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. So Ezra, the scribe, stood on a platform of wood, which they had made for the purpose, and beside him at his right hand stood Medatiah, Shema, Aniah, Uriah, Hilkiah, and Messiah, and, the left, and to the left hand, Pedadiah, Mishael, Melchiah, Hashum, Hashbadana, Zechariah, and Meshulam. <laughs> I'm sure that would shock an Israelite to hear me pronounce those names, but it's the English version. 
And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was standing above all the people. And when he opened it, all the people stood up. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. Then all the people answered, Amen, Amen, while lifting up their hands and they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Also, Jeshua, Benai, Sherebiah, Jamin, Akub, Shebathai, Hodiah, Messiah, Kalida, Azariah, Josabad, Hanan, Paliah and the Levites helped the people to understand the law, and the people stood in their place. So they read distinctly from the book in the law of God, and they gave the sense and helped them to understand the reading. And Nehemiah, who was the governor, Ezra, the priest and scribe, and the Levites, who taught the people, said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not weep. Do not mourn, do not weep, for all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. Many of these people had not heard the word of God for so long. They were starving for it. They knew their fathers had had gotten away from it. They knew their fathers got into trouble when they weren't reading the word of God, and they just craved the word of God. So how did they respond? They stood up. We're going to hear from God right now. They stood up, and when they heard the word of the Lord being spoken to them, they just broke out in tears. They began to cry. They can't even look up. They look down in reverence as the word of God is being spoken over them. Then the priests and the Levites who taught the people said to all the people, Listen, this day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn nor weep. For all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, Go your way. Eat the fat, drink the sweet, and send portions to those for whom nothing is prepared. Who who were those? Those were the poor, were to take care of the poor. The poor needed to, to eat. They needed to worship God too. For this day is holy to the Lord. Do not sorrow, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. The people began to weep, but this wasn't a time for weeping. This was a time of rejoicing. God's blessing was on Israel. And God says, hey, 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 don't mourn and weep right now. My hand is upon you. You're being obedient. This is a time to rejoice, people. And so they did. They began to rejoice. And they, they began to have this meal and this celebration. So the Levites, verse 11, quieted all the people, saying, Be still, for the day is holy. Do not be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and drink, to send portions and rejoice greatly because they understood the words that were declared to them. Now on the second day, the heads of the father's house, of all the people, these are all the dads, they come back together. They haven't had enough. They want more. With the priests and Levites were gathered to Ezra the scribe in order to understand the words of the law. They came back the next day and said, Ezra, we need more. We are the leaders of our families. We're the leaders of our homes. Please teach us more on how to be godly men, godly fathers. Over the next two weekends, I want to look at three responses to God's word. Here's response number one. We need to understand God's word. 
Now, if you are part of a precept Bible study, if you've been trained in precepts or you've been trained to read your Bible or just over time you have learned these things from someone, somehow, then you know that when you begin to read, what every good teacher, what every good student does is to find the key word in the passage that they're about to try to understand. Now, if you on your own had read Nehemiah, the the passage I just read, Uh, that one word stands out, and it's this. The key word for our passage today, students, is this. It's the word understand. Just in that short passage there, he says it six times. We got to understand. We got to understand. The people uh, waited to understand what the Levites taught them so that they might understand. The fathers came back that they might understand. Restored for Life is a radio ministry brought to you by Restored Community Church. Visit RestoredCommunityChurch.org to learn more about Pastor Ben Harris and for service times. Join Pastor Ben next time as we set out on a journey to discover the authentic life as Christ followers through obedience to His Word.